you got a Bible this morning, I would ask you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. We are four weeks in a series called Relationship Restart. Relationship Restart. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. I want to read to you Colossians 3 verse 18 all the way down to Colossians 4 and verse 1. And uh, if you want to follow along on the screen, you can. The, The verses will be on the screen. The Bible says in verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. And if you're just joining us today for the first time, or maybe you've missed a couple of weeks, we have started through this passage in Colossians dealing with relationships. God just clears off uh, a portion of Scripture, and He defines for us six relationships that are super critical. They're, they're relationships that we will experience in this life, and they're relationships that we need God's Word to direct us on how, how to properly have these relationships. And so if you're taking notes this morning in your, in your sermon notes, I want to give you the blank real quick. I just want to remind you there is a divine order to these instructions that God gives us. There's a divine order, and God is walking through these relationships very systematically. He actually begins with the wives. And and as we go through this text, please understand that each level of this has to do with submission to authority, which ultimately lands us in submitting to God's authority in our life. And so wives are to submit to their husbands, to their own husbands, as we saw in verse 18, and then we saw the role of the husband is to lead and to love and to be not bitter against his wife, and we covered that last week in detail. And then today, we're going to talk about children because the, the, the result of a union between a husband and a wife generally is children. And, and so listen, God, that's God's design, that's God's plan. Obviously, there, there are times when uh, because of, of sin and just decision, that's not always the way it works out. And, and let me just tell you, God has grace that is sufficient in our life. Uh, we're not here to condemn anyone this morning. As a matter of fact, there's freedom and forgiveness in Christ, and there's liberty in Christ. And yet God wants us to make sure that if we, if we find ourselves having children, there's a right way to, to administrate that relationship. And we want to talk about that in detail today. So hang around. Even if you don't have kids, hang around, because I promise it's going to land right where it needs to land. And then he moves into talking about fathers, and, and he very specifically gives some instruction to fathers, because fathers have been given the, the responsibility to lead the home, and so some very specific things that we talked about on Father's Day. Go back and watch that message if you, if you missed it. And then he talks about servants, those that are under masters to the flesh, we'll get that in a couple of weeks. And then masters, those that that administer uh, authority. And he does say that those masters, according to the flesh, have a master in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so all of, this, all of these relationships are, are, are pyramided under Christ's authority. That's the point. There's a divine order in which God reveals these relationships. That's why we've been taking one a week. We broke rank for Father's Day just to deal with fathers because it fit. But now we're going back through each of these in detail. Now, the second thing I want to communicate to you this morning is I want to remind you of the doctrinal significance of the book of Colossians. The doctrinal significance of the book of Colossians. And, and the reason why this is so important is because this issue that we're going to talk about today, children obeying their parents, it, it's not just a practical truth. It needs to be applied. But I'm going to tell you that it fits prophetically in a very specific point in time when this issue needs instruction more than ever. And so let me just remind you that Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He's writing to the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. He shows us that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He's writing to saved people. He's writing to believers at Colossae. But I also want you to understand, as we study this epistle, that he mentions a city in this that is only mentioned in one other book of the Bible, and that's the city of Laodicea. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 15, the Bible says that when this epistle is read among you, Colossians calls that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So listen, as you study the Bible and compare Scripture with Scripture, God doesn't waste words. We find that the only other mention of Laodicea is in the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, God lists for us seven churches, seven New Testament churches that were present in the Apostle John's day. And, and Jesus Christ had something very specific to say to each of those seven churches. Now you may say, well, weren't there more churches present in, in John's day than just those seven churches? The answer is yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, we, we can spend a lot of time looking at all the churches that were present, but I want you to understand that God put in Revelation those seven churches, number one, because each of those seven churches listed in Revelation 2 and 3 typify every church that's ever existed. You see, every New Testament church that has ever existed is like one of those seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation. But I also want you to understand that those seven churches doctrinally give us an overview of the entire church age period. You say, man, this is getting heavy real quick. I thought we were talking about children. Oh, we are. You need to understand that God opens those seven churches in Revelation with the church of Ephesus. And, and the last church that he speaks to in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14 is the church of the Laodiceans, the seventh of seven churches. And, and God tells that church, here's some things that you need to pay attention to as a Laodicean church. He says in Revelation 3, verses 14 to 17, under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. 
So then, because thou art lukewarm, and because uh, and neither cold nor hot, I spew thee out of my mouth. So this church, out of all seven churches, the Lord Jesus had nothing positive to say about it. As a matter of fact, he only had negative to say about this church of the Laodiceans. He says, you make me sick because you're not hot and you're not cold. You're not all and out for me, but you're not all and out against me. Verse 17, then he calls to, to record what they say about themselves. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And so God wanted that church at Laodicea specifically to know their spiritual state and standing in his eyes. And as we look at the book of Colossians, because it does cross-reference to Revelation chapter 3, and the church of Laodicea. I'm, I'm just here to tell you that if you want to successfully navigate the spirit of this age that we are in, the last days of the church age, the Laodicean church age, well, listen, if you want to successfully navigate that, you would be wise to get a handle on the book of Colossians. And it is very interesting to me that in this passage and in this epistle, by the way, that the Apostle Paul is pinning from prison of anything that the Lord would have impressed on his heart to communicate to this church, there's some heavy teaching on right relationships. Because you know what gets jacked up in Laodicea and last day's Christianity? Relationships. The home. Family. And God wants us to be careful because the Bible tells us, and it's not on the screen, but I just want to remind you, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, when Paul is, is penning this epistle, listen, he, he warns us that if we're not careful, that, that there's going to be spoilage. We're going to be spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. In other words, if we don't pay attention to God's Word... When we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we will lose reward because we failed to apply this epistle to our last day's Christian lives. And so, and so this book is extremely important for Laodicean Christianity, the seventh phase, if you will, of, of the church age. By the way, the last time the church is mentioned in the book of Revelation, because in chapter 4 and verse 1, all the way to the end, it's never mentioned again. And so that is the doctrinal significance of this book, which makes it very practical for us that are living in the last days. Now, we talked about wives a couple of weeks ago. We had the lowest number of people in the room ever, I think in like five years. It was horrible. And so, ladies, I trust you've repented since then. Husbands, we dealt with our, our leadership last week from the Word of God, how we're to lead and to love and to, to let the acts of God's Word deal with bitterness in our lives and our marriages. So this week, we're going to talk about children. And I'm going to tell you, I, I really prayed about having our children in the room today for this message. But I decided against that because I feel like if I can get the parent to understand what the Bible says about their children, care business. Does that make sense? And so that's why you're here. And so Colossians 3 and verse 20 says this, Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And I am thankful we have some of our kids in the room, and I know they're paying attention, and so I'm glad you guys are here. 
The, the parallel passage to this is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is what? It's right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Okay, so, so point number three in your notes. Look, we're going to talk about the directives that God's Word gives to our children. The directives that God gives to our children. And I want you to be reminded that these are God's directives, not Jay's directives. You understand me? So don't walk out of here upset with me. These are God's directives to our children. Number one, the, the first directive is that we, our children are to obey their parents. Parents, I really lobbed up a softball right there to you. I was, I, should have been a unanimous wave of hallelujah, amen across this room. There. Obey your parents. Number two, the directive is to honor your parents. Now, the truth is, we probably don't have time to get to directive two today, because I hope you packed a lunch. I'm going to need every bit of what the time I have left to get through this passage. And so, and so let me just also remind you that maybe you're here today, and, and you don't have children yet. Maybe today you're you're young, adult, and, and you don't have kids yet, uh, or, or maybe you never had kids. I don't want you to think that this doesn't apply to you in some manner. I would kindly remind you that our life as Christians is that of a child to a father. So if you're saved, if you're born again, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. And so that relationship as a father and a child practically plays out in your current Christianity. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, the Bible says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Galatians 3 and verse 26 says, For ye are, the, ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And by the way, that's the only way that you become a child of God. It's by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. So, so you don't become a child of God because your family grew up in the church, your dad was a pastor, uh, you know, you, you're religious. You come to Christ by faith, and the Bible teaches that you're born again into his family. He becomes your father, you become his child. And so as we talk about children obeying, please understand there's a very practical application for every one of us that's a believer in Christ. We, as God's children, uh, we're called to obey and to honor our Father. But for those of us that, that, that have the responsibility to be parents and we have children, this also applies to our families. And so I want to give you, number one, the, the, or, or kind of under the sub-point there, the object of obedience. The object of obedience. And the Word of God tells us in Colossians 3 and verse 20 that children are to obey your parents. Your parents. And so the object of obedience is our parents. Parent or parents. If you have the title and the position, that's who your obedience is to be. Now, we're going to look at the Lord Jesus Christ and His example because we can learn some things from His life. And so in Luke chapter 2, this is, this is concerning Christ's childhood. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2 and verse 41, now His parents... Whose parents? Christ's parents. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And so as we look at Jesus Christ's life, I want you to understand 
He had human parents. I did not say he had a human father. And and I think it's very important, and you need to jot down Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 35. And the reason you need to jot that down is because Joseph is not Jesus Christ's father. He is his parent. He has the position of a parent. But listen, the Bible is very clear that the Holy Ghost came upon Mary. The Bible Bible says that the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, and also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. He didn't have a human father. He couldn't have. If he did, he's not God. And so he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. That is part of the deity of Christ. But listen, in the same context, we had better understand Joseph was not his father, but Joseph was his parent. He was his parent. And and listen, I think it's an important point to make. We see this differentiation even in our culture and in our families. There are times and situations where blended families come together, and that's a wonderful thing. And listen, a man with children or a woman with children may remarry, and all of a sudden, it's, it's my kids and your kids. And let me just say that God very clearly, even from this example, says that a husband and wife are the parents of their children, even if they're not the biological father or mother. Can I get an amen right there? Joseph is a parent. Joseph was not the biological father of the Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, he was a parent and exercised that position. And and so just because a woman isn't the biological mother of children, it doesn't mean that she's not a parent. Just because a man is not the biological father of a child doesn't mean that he is not a parent. He actually is in that context. And so the Bible goes on in verse 42, and it says, When he was 12 years old, Christ, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. How old is Jesus at this point? 12 years old. And by the way, God calls him a child in verse 43 at 12 years old. So young people in the room, no offense. You know everything at 12. God still says you're a child. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Exodus, God kind of says you don't even really get counted until you're 20. So... Enjoy your childhood. <laughs> That's free, parents. I, I'm, I'm trying to help you, parents. Okay, so listen. <clears throat> so the Bible tells us that, that, that this child, 12-year-old Jesus Christ, and, and again, in God's economy, a 12-year-old is still a child. If you look at that verse, the Bible says very plainly, Joseph and his mother. It doesn't say his father and mother, depending on what version of the Bible you read. It may say his father and mother, I would contend that Joseph is not his father. And so if you look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 43, and if you look back at Luke chapter 2 and verse 33, it should probably read Joseph and his mother, not his father and his mother, because he only has one father, God the Father, okay? But nevertheless, so here's here's what happened. They went to Jerusalem, the family went, Jesus is 12, After they were there for the the feast, which would have been seven days long, 
After they finished the days, they fulfilled the days, the family left. But guess who they forgot? Or guess who wasn't with them, whether they forgot or not? Jesus was not with them, and Joseph and his mother knew it not. So then skip down to verse 44. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. So obviously there was a great number of people that went with Joseph and Mary. And so they're looking, hey, have you seen Jesus? Have you, you talk about parenting fail, right? You know what I'm saying? It's not, you didn't forget the diaper bag or like Max. I mean, you forgot the kid. Like, hey, have you seen Jesus? Okay. So, so they couldn't find him among the kinfolk. They found him not. They turned back again to Jerusalem. So they'd already went a day's journey, 24 hours. And they realized, he's not here. So then you got a day's journey back to Jerusalem. That's two days. And then the Bible says that they scoured Jerusalem for a day because they found him. The Bible says in verse 46, it came to pass after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, son, why hast thou dealt thus? Behold, here it is. Listen to this. Thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Now again, let me just focus on the parents for a second. Let me just tell you right off the bat, Jesus didn't have perfect parents. He didn't have perfect parents. He did have a perfect father. He didn't have perfect parents. Listen, I mean, you talk about parenting fail. We left him for three days. I mean, listen, they went a day's journey before they even realized, hey, did we forget something? I mean, he's 12 years old. Oh, that it sure is quiet around. Uh, what? It's quiet around here. What, what do we? Oh, we. Where's Jesus? You know. So they go back to Jerusalem a day for search, and they finally found him sitting in the temple. It is interesting that when she finds Jesus, she says, "Son, your father and I have been looking all over for you." Look at verse forty-nine. And Jesus kindly but gently teaches her the truth. Verse 49, he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Uh, let me remind everybody in the room, Jesus is saying that Joseph's not my father. God is my father, and I must be about his business. Verse 50 says they didn't even understand the saying which he spake to them. Okay? So, so again, man, uh, the kid is like correcting his parent, gently, with the right truth. The Bible says in verse 51 that he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The Bible tells us very clearly that Christ himself subjected himself to parental authority. Listen, Joseph and Mary were sinners that ultimately Jesus Christ Himself would have to redeem through His own shed blood. They didn't even understand God the Father's business like Jesus understood it, and yet Christ subjected Himself. He submitted Himself. He was submissive and obedient to them. He made an example of submitting and obeying parents 
that aren't perfect. Because number one, none of us will be perfect parents. And number two, every child in this room needs to understand that you don't need a perfect parent to submit and to obey. You need to obey the parent that God gave you. And, and listen, my kids got as parents, my wife and I, sinners, saved by the grace of God. That's, that's what my kids got. And my, my kids are sinners that need to be saved by the grace of God. One of my children is saved. We're praying for the other one to be saved, of course. The point is, by nature, we are sinners. By nature, we're imperfect. Listen, by nature, even as parents, we don't sometimes fully realize what God is doing in this world or even in the life of our child. But even at that, can I just tell you, based on Christ, the right thing to do is just obey your parents. And as a parent, we need to position ourselves with that expectation from our children. We need to position ourselves as parents to expect obedience as imperfect as we are. Number two, the extent of obedience. You need to listen faster because we've got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. But number two is the extent of obedience. God tells us in Colossians is that we're to obey our parents in all things. And don't you hate that word all in the Bible? You know, the Greek, when you really break that down and study what that means, you ready? All means all. And I'm glad you came to church this morning because the extent of obedience to parents is, is to be in all things. Now listen, you obviously have Acts chapter 5 and verse 29 where, where Peter and the other apostles say, listen, we ought to rather obey God than man. But listen, if your parent is not leading you to do something that's contrary to the Word of God, the answer should be yes. It should be obedience. You, you have no excuse for a lack, of disobe- or, excuse me, a lack of obedience based on any reason, any reason outside the authority of God's Word. God's told you to obey in all things. Parents, we're, we should expect our children to obey in all things, unless it violates Scripture. And then thirdly, I want to give you the assurance of obedience because the Bible tells us in Colossians 3 and verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And so in your blank, the assurance of obedience is always right, is right to obey. It's well-pleasing unto the Lord to obey. And again, I know I'm talking to mostly parents in this room this morning, but, but please understand that when you set an expectation, parent in Christ's likeness, expect obedience. It pleases God when your children obey you as parents. Do you understand? It, it puts them in right favor with God Almighty. And, and by the way, I, w- I will say that the converse of that statement is true. When we obey, it's well-pleasing to the Lord, and that is right. When our children don't obey, it's not pleasing to the Lord, and, and if it ain't right, it's wrong. It's wrong. And again, you want to be right with the Lord Jesus Christ if you're a child. And parents, you want to parent in a way that puts your children right with the Lord. 
Do you understand that if you allow disobedience in your home with your children, it is not well-pleasing to the Lord for your child? And it ain't right. And let me just... Second, if you're a child of God in this room, you're a child of God, you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're the child of God that we talked about earlier, you have a father that is your father. Parents and all things. Because it's pleasing unto the Lord. And I'm not really sure where we in Laodicea got off track thinking that 50% obedience is good enough. 75% obedience is good enough. 25% obedience is good enough. I think the Word of God should have the same admonition for us as born again believers that we should obey God the Father, listen, in all things. What, what portion of Scripture are you going to choose to disobey between you and your Heavenly Father? And let me just tell you, when you get to that point, it, it is not well-pleasing to the Lord, and it is not right. It's wrong. It's sin. And so listen, there, there are plenty of examples. We, we could just quickly burn through these, but in Matthew, chapter, in Matthew 17, God the Father Himself bestows this, this, this well-pleased admonition on the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 3, it is baptism. The voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well-pleased. I'm well-pleased because He is submissive to my will. He's following my leadership, Matthew 17 and verse 5 on the Mount of Transfiguration, the voice from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen, Christ submitted to his earthly parents. He submitted himself to his heavenly father and all of those things are well pleasing to God Almighty. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you, you run across a strange verse concerning the nation of Israel in verses 1 to 5. And God talks about the exodus from Egypt and how the nation of Israel came out of Egypt and they were under the cloud. They passed through the Red Sea. They were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea. They, they ate the spiritual meat that God gave them in the wilderness. They drank of the spiritual rock. And that rock was Christ. But listen to verse 5. The Bible says, With many of them, God was not well pleased. Now listen. You've you got to know that God's got a sense of humor. When you read that verse, if you've ever read the book of Exodus. Because, because when he says, with many of them, God was not well pleased, and they were overthrown in the wilderness, do you understand that that's probably the greatest understatement ever in the Bible? Because when he, when he talks about the many of them that he was not pleased with, it was all but two. Joshua and Caleb. As a matter of fact, if you read Exodus 38, verse 26, when they were dedicating the, the tabernacle and they were counting all the, the men and, and there was a, a, an offering, a half a shekel for every man that was numbered from 20 years old upward, the total came to 603,550 men, not counting women and children. Six hundred thousand men how many of them was god not god not well pleased with six hundred and three thousand five hundred and forty eight why was he not well pleased with them 
Because they didn't obey him. Because they didn't obey him. He, he was not well pleased with them. And, you know, I, I think it's important for us as parents that we need to realize, listen, when we set up a structure and demand obedience for our children, it's pleasing to the Lord. And at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. Amen. Point number four, the derivation of disobedience. That's the only other D word I could find to fit in the blank. It means origin or beginning. So the deriv derivation of disobedience. Where does disobedience come from? Well, I think as you study the Bible uh, on this issue of disobeying parents, you, you're going to land in a couple places. Number one, you're going to land in Romans chapter one. Romans one tells us what happens when people don't retain the knowledge of God in their mind. And two of the Probably the scariest statements in the Bible is Romans chapter 1 and verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And so God gives a, a group of people up to uncleanness and to inordinate affection. And then in verse 28, the Bible says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, listen, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And, and, and can you just read the verse, verses following this? What, what does a reprobate mind look like? I'm glad you asked. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despisers, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. And then right in the middle of this, disobedient to parents. <laughs> that kind of doesn't fit the, the rest of that list. No, it, fit, it fits the list just fine. Disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit, which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them. Listen, when you don't like to retain God in your knowledge, God gives you over to reprobate mind. And can I just tell you, one of the symptoms of that is obedience to parents. Yeah, I was just making my own decisions. Oh, you are making your own decisions because you don't want to retain God in your mind. So God gave you over to a reprobate mind, the result of which manifest these things so disobedience comes from a reprobate mind and then secondly disobedience is a result of last days apostasy i'll tell you man i know god had all of us on the earth in this time for a reason okay you know these last days of christianity laodicea and church age i know god had us here for a reason but can i just tell you that man this is a tough time to be a christian it's a tough time to serve the Lord. It's a tough time to, to stand for truth and to stand for what God says. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And so Paul knew that, man, before the coming of Christ, before the rapture of the church and the, and the tribulation of the second coming of Christ, Paul knew that it was going to get darker before it got lighter. He says, in the last days, listen, perilous times are going to come. 
Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. And then right in the middle of that, disobedient to parents. Hmm. Well, that ought to to wake us up a little bit. (laughs) Because last day's Laodicean Christianity is going to be marked and will continue to be marked by mankind that loves their own selves and that disobeys God-given authority in their life up to and including their parents. That's why the book of Colossians is so important for us. So here, let me, I got like five minutes, ten minutes. Let let me just give you some, some practical application. Listen, that means that if we are going to expect Christ-like children in our home. Church, we, by the way, God expects Christ-like children in our home. God expects our children to obey. And God expects our children to honor their parents. So that's God's directive, not yours and not mine. That's God's. If we are going to expect that and achieve that, that means that we have to parent as Christ-likeness, in Christ-likeness. Can I just say this respectfully? The problem is that that many professing believers that are parents have never been brought to spiritual maturity themselves. They aren't parenting in Christ-likeness because they themselves aren't maturing into Christ-likeness themselves. I don't say that as a criticism. I say that as a call to action. If you don't learn the Bible after you get saved, parent, you've condemned yourself and your parenting skill set to eternal immaturity. And listen, you're going to stand and give an account for that at the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to allow philosophy and vain tradition and the rudiments of this world to spoil your reward in Christ. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 24 and verse 3, through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established. In other words, God wants us to build our homes on wisdom and with understanding. And listen, that didn't just happen on Sunday morning for an hour. It just doesn't. And I'm, and I'm here to help all of us because I need the help too. And so number one, here's the first parenting tip I want to leave you with today. Number one, look, for all of us as parents, we need to spend the time to learn how to parent biblically. We need to spend the time to learn how to parent. Listen, if God has directive and, and, and expectations for our children, do you think it would be beneficial for us as a parent to learn that? So then we can position our children to, to see that accomplished. And listen, that helps us as a parent. Because then I can tell my kid, hey, you know, I see the way you're acting. What does God think about that? Because you're acting crazy. You know what God's Word says? Colossians chapter 3, that's going to be some of y'all's memory verse this week. I know it is, man. (laughs) Children, obey your parents and all things. That's going to be like plastered all over your house, sticky notes written on the mirror. I got it, man. I'm, I'm all for you, parent. Listen, we as parents have to make sure that we don't relegate our parenting to just digital appeasement. Listen, if we're not careful, we'll sacrifice our children on the altar of Netflix and Disney+. Plus. We will relegate our responsibility to teachers in schools to raise them mentally and emotionally and physically, and then we'll expect our children's church leaders, our student pastors, and our preachers to raise them spiritually. 
And yet God's directive is that a child obeys their parents. And so listen, as parents, man, we have got to... The Holy Spirit's empowerment. God help us, man, through the Holy Spirit and through His Word to do what God's called us to do. We, we as parents, number one, I think, I think we can submit to be discipled Amen. as a parent. You know what will help you as a parent? Get discipled. Sure. Grow in Christ-likeness. And, and then once you learn to walk in obedience and, and pleasing to your Heavenly Father, can I just tell you, it'll change the way you parent. It'll change the way you parent. Number two, parenting tip number two. We need to understand the physical and spiritual development of our children. Okay, so children aren't adults. And uh, listen, number one guilty guy. I, I forget that sometimes, okay? I forget that. Children are not adults. And, and both physically and spiritually, there is a kind of a process that generally they grow through. Zero to the pre-K years is really the years of preparation. Where, where we begin to establish in their life Obedience, correction, admonition, encouragement, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, teaching them how to pray, praying for them, with them. We're really preparing them in those first four years to receive the seed of God's Word into their heart and life, receive the Gospel. Listen, some kids get saved in that age. very rare, but sometimes they do get saved at four years old. And can I just say this? Listen, salvation is such that any child can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe on His finished work on the cross of Calvary. But I'm telling you, that's an adult decision at any point in a child's life. And then from, from kindergarten to fifth grade, those are generally the years of decision-making. Most people, how many in this room came to Christ from, from kindergarten to fifth grade? Raise your hand. Not as many as I thought. Most, statistically speaking, Barna and some of the other guys, man, statistically speaking, Kindergarten to fifth grade is where most professions of faith are made. Again, we are in a postmodern, if you will, Christian culture. Those numbers are probably going up a little bit. I got saved when I was 21. And so I really blew up their studies really wrong, man. 21, you're screwing up the curve. Yeah, okay. And listen, so we need to understand that in those years, kindergarten to fifth grade, that is generally the time that they're going to make a profession of faith for Christ. That's why being in church, being around a church family, Keeping the commitments that we vowed as parents, that's when it becomes critically important. Don't, listen, and by, listen, by the time they're five to ten years old, you're already tired as a parent. I know, man. I got a nine-year-old, and I'm like, gosh. How many more I'm counting them pennies, man. <laughs> and then, listen, from, from sixth grade up to twelfth grade, you know, senior in high school, this, these are the years of doubt and reevaluation. If they've gotten saved, can I just tell you, there's going to come a, a trial of their faith. There's going to come a time where, where really they have to, for themselves, want and, and receive a biblical worldview. That they have to find their identity in Christ. Not in sports, not in their friends, not even in their family, but their identity in Christ. Listen, it's at that age that they can begin certainly serving in their local church. They can, they can begin understanding biblical authority as they begin to make decisions because, listen, after they graduate, they're going to enter into the greatest decision-making time of their life. From the age of 18 to 25, do you understand that in those seven years, eight years, they're going to decide if they're going to college or not, what they're going to major in, if they're going to move away or stay, if they're going to buy or rent, if they're going to get married or not, and probably within those seven or eight years, 
already have decided if they're going to start a family. So listen, the foundation that's laid in the home is critically important. It's critically important. And so listen, parents, we can do the right thing. God's Word gives us the equipment. Number three, listen, preparing the tip. You're not going to like it. Some of you won't, but that's okay. Number three, never let your child tell you no without correction and if needed, discipline. You don't let them tell you no without correction and if needed, discipline. Because listen, if they tell you no, number one, that's disobedience. If they tell you no without correction, they're going to tell their teachers no. They're going to tell their pastor no. They're going to tell their employer no. Law enforcement no. And ultimately, the supreme authority, God Almighty. And your job and my job as a parent is to position our children to receive Christ and to submit to His authority. And so listen, our sinful nature, all of our sinful nature, hates authority. If you don't believe that, turn the news on. We hate authority and our sinful nature. And if you just walk through Proverbs, and again, I know that time is short, but can I just tell you, you've got tremendous parenting principles from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 13 and verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Well, you know, that rod there is really the shepherd's rod to, to guide. Well, stick around. Proverbs 19 and verse 18 says, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his, for his crying. Oh, ooh. We're called to, to correct our children in such manner? Yeah. Proverbs 22 and verse 15 tells us why. The Bible tells us foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 23 and verses 13 to 14, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod... Oh, there's the definition of how to use a rod. But we don't like that because we don't like what the Bible says. If thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shall deliver his... His what? Now, can I just tell you something? There is a direct correlation between corporal punishment administered to the bottom, the physical body, and the spiritual significance of what God uses that for. God says, if you do this the way that I told you to do it in my word, who is, by the way, the perfect parent, you'll deliver his soul from hell. So, so, so all of a sudden, parenting has a spiritual significance because it actually can lead to our children receiving Christ because they understand authority. They understand obedience. There's plenty of other verses. You've got those in your notes. Uh, I would encourage you to spend a little time in Proverbs. You say, well, well that, doesn't just, that just doesn't work for my kid. You don't know my kid, Jay. Uh, uh, that's old parenting techniques, Jay. That, that's old. That's first century stuff. Well, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't deal with those objections to that truth, so I'm going to deal with them. If you in your mind think, well, that just doesn't work for my kid, or that's old, outdated parenting techniques, number one, you have elevated your circumstances and experiences above biblical authority. And, and I'll remind you out of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 that God says that there's nothing new under the sun. So your scenario and circumstance and child, although unique to you, 
In God's economy, I've seen that before. That's why I wrote the book of Proverbs. The second thing that if you're not careful, if you have that mindset, you make the word of God of none effect. In other words, you have just taken that everything that God said that is true and said, well, that just doesn't really matter for my home or for me as a parent. Number three, if you're not careful, you'll make that statement and you'll make God a liar. Now, God either said that and it's true or it's wrong. And Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 tells us that God cannot lie. Do you understand the moment that God himself lies, he ceases to be God? Romans 3 and verse 4 says, let God be true and every man a liar. And then lastly, if you have that mentality concerning parenting, can I just lovingly put it out there that you're putting your wisdom above God's wisdom? And and can I just tell you, your wisdom is going to last by the grace of God 60, 70, 80 years, maybe 41 years. God's wisdom is eternal. That book is forever established in heaven. It's settled in heaven. God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. And that includes our philosophy of parenting if it does not come from the Word of God. You got one more blank, don't you? Let me me close with a positive. Listen, you need to rejoice in the fact that God can use imperfect parents. You need to rejoice and trust and believe by faith. God can use imperfect parents. Parents, do you remember Joseph and Mary? Okay, listen, if, if you left your child somewhere like Target, Walmart, and, and then like drove a day's journey before you realized it, and then drove a day's journey back, and then, and then had to search the store for a full 24 hours, okay, none of you have done that. I don't think. Okay, none of you have done that. And so listen, these guys had the mega ultimate parenting fail. And yet, God used them. Oh, and by the way, their son, the son that they were raising, is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is perfect and sinless. And I know you think that about your child, but let me assure you they're not. (laughs) And if you do think that, you need to go ahead and sign up for children's ministry, and we're going to prove it. (laughs) Those in the back right now are saying, please, God, end the sermon now. Listen. Take a deep breath and understand as a parent, listen, it's a tough job. It is a tough job. It's a tough calling. God has given us the benefit of of his word, the power of his Holy Spirit, the, the, the biblical authority to where we can walk in faith and just do it the way that God said. It doesn't have to make sense, but it has has to be done in faith. And so listen, for every parent in this room, my heart goes out to you and my prayers for you. I'm for you, not against you, I'm for you. And I need your prayers too, and we need to do this together. We need to do it together. And listen, we need our Heavenly Father's example, the way He fathers us, He loves us, He chastens us and scourges us. And listen, we're not perfect. There's going to be times where you as a parent have to ask your kid for forgiveness because you did it wrong. Guilty. And, and by the, listen, if, if God gives us another 10 years, then I, I'm, I'm going to probably have to say that a, a numerous number of times. I blew it. I, did, I got it wrong. I got that one wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But at the end of the day, let's, let's parent in the way that the Word of God teaches us so that ultimately the Lord Himself is pleased. Amen.
Is that helpful? All right, so let's pray, and then, uh, and then we'll dismiss. We are way over this, this morning. So thank you for being here. Let me pray, and we'll dismiss. Father, we love you.